We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to Sermons with Rabbi David Seth Kirchner, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Rabbi David Seth Kirchner, Temple Manual, close to Jude. Good morning, Rabbi. Good morning, Joe Podesic. That sounded like you were swearing at me in Latin. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it works. You know. Yeah. You know, and by the uh, way, uh, let me wish all the rabbis a uh, happy holiday, because today is their yeah, holiday, they can relax, the day after. Finally. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's another holiday today, because I heard that it's Deacon McCormick's birthday today, and I want to be one of the first to wish him a happy, healthy, sweet birthday. And our tradition, Deacon, we say to 120 in good health, and we hope that's what you have. Your lips to the Lord's he's ears. Not, he's not talking about weight. He's talking about... Isn't that hurtful? <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> Would you like a gig on Sunday mornings, Rabbi? <laughs> <laughs> by the way, you know, uh, years ago, it was Rabbi Harry Halpern. He was at East Midwood Jewish Center, a great preacher. He had that homiletical eye where he'd find a sermon everything. And he said when it comes to a birthday, he never understood blowing out the candles. He said, light the candle. Bring light into the world. Don't blow out the candles. He never uh, could fathom that tradition. But anyway, uh, by the way, someone was telling me they heard a rabbi preach about forgiveness, and he made an interesting observation. He says, somebody will cut you off on the road, and you will start cursing, and you won't forgive. How dare he do that to me? If you were to find out that that person was rushing to get to a hospital right. for an emergency, you would change your, right? Um, Who's your boss? You know, <laughs> or you, you, you know, a dog is barking at you and you say, oh, get away from me. If you, to find out that dog is, is ill or, you know, has a broken paw, whatever, right, right. you would think differently. And the idea of giving people the benefit of the doubt, which is something that uh, some people just cannot do because, as we said earlier, they're never wrong. So how could... How could you get why Rabbi you David, doesn't it sound like he misses giving these sermons? <laughs> I, you know? Well, I give he them through Rabbi David said Kirshner now. He can come any week he wants and give a sermon at Temple Emmanuel. We would be honored to have him in our presence and to have him preach. Yeah, he means on a Wednesday when no one's there. <laughs> Wednesday at 10 o'clock. <laughs> anyway, Saturday talk, morning. <laughs> talk about some of your themes. What, what <laughs> issues did you address? Uh, we, we had a really blessed holiday at Emmanuel, and everything seemed to go swimmingly, thank God. On Rosh Hashanah, I focused on something that I don't think many people focused on, which was, you know, a lot of people are talking about all the brokenness in the world, all the things that aren't working, all the things that are have us in despair. And I talked about all the things that are working and how we, first of all, as the Jewish people seem to be a fetchy lot of people who complain a lot. No. And I, uh, I spoke about all the things in life that are our blessings. So the three takeaways were for us to take inventory of all the blessings in our life, big and small, with people and with God. The second one uh, component of that was to just stop complaining, because it's contagious. And if we uh, do the inverse of complaining, we can share some light with people. And the third one was to find creative situations where we think that there is a challenge and see the blessing within it. I, my wife is from Houston. I talked about the uh, the Texas megachurch that opened its doors to everyone in the Jewish community to have their services there because one of the major synagogues was flooded underwater. These are the stories we should be telling. These are the ones that have inspiration. These are the ones that are going to carry us further. And there, there are absolutely broken parts of the world, but I think that 
if we focus on everything broken, we're going to stall. And if we focus on things that are working, it's going to fuel us to keep moving forward. You know, and I'm sure the Kvechi people complain that you talked about some things that were positive. Because you know, <laughs> there's nothing ever positive. Um, I, I talking to a rabbi, and I mentioned this earlier, rabbis are caught sometimes in this dilemma. You know, there are issues that are part of the political world. If you talk about them, you're guilty of being political. If you don't talk about them, you're guilty of not response, responding to the crises of the day. How do you handle that? Well, uh, first of all, I think most of the people in my community know where I stand politically. But my job when they come for the high holidays is to stir them, to challenge them, for them to see something in their life that's a little different and to act on it. So that's one of the activities that, or, the, or the goals that I orient myself towards as a, as a leader of the services. I don't think, while there are political things to discuss, I don't, I don't really feel that in at least the Temple Emmanuel and Kloster that that's where everyone is coming to synagogue because they can hear what the rabbi has to say about politics. I think they want to hear what the rabbi has to say about Judaism, about life, about our families. There's a time and place for some political conversation and how it blends into our religious life. But to me, it just wasn't calling me this year to make that the focus of, of our conversations and, and Torah that we shared with each other. You know, some, someone said to me, a rabbi, he said, look, at best I'm a B-minus political pundit. So why do they need to hear my views? They can get better views, you know, more uh, insightful thinking uh, from those. Well, I, I'm yeah, sorry. I, 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 I'm sorry to interrupt you. It was actually Peter Beinart that wrote that in the New York Times about two years ago in the wake of the war in Gaza. And on that situation, I actually, I, I would put, I push back on him uh, with an op-ed that I wrote back. And on that one, when it comes to Israel, and politics, I think we have a responsibility uh, to talk about Israel. But I don't think about American politics. And the reason why I believe we have a responsibility to talk about Israel is, is frankly, the rabbis in the congregation know more than most and less than some. Hmm. And it's important for us to talk about these topics that our congregants know a little less about as a whole and to hear the flavor that we're sharing. Hmm. But I, don't, I think that's different than talking about right. uh, you know, the health care debate or, um, or the debt ceiling. We have the privilege of speaking with uh, Rabbi David Seth Kirshner, who, my newest best friend on Facebook, by the way. Just want everybody to know that. He's the senior rabbi at Temple Emmanuel and uh, former president of the Board of uh, Rabbis. Um, you know, I, 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 I love the conversation we're having and this tension between you know, worrying about offending our, our congregants and, and, and enlightening them or, or challenging them. And there's so many times that I, I, it's it's easy to give a puffball homily uh, or a sermon, uh, as you, you would call, it. and it's, right. it's, it's and people love it. You know, you come out and say, "Oh, that was funny," you know, Deacon or it was, it was, uh, whatever. But it's like fast food. About an hour later, it's you know, I don't remember. He was quick. That's all I remember. The yeah. the issue I think we have a, a, a desperate responsibility is that. We're, we're in the business of life and death, you know, and so, so look, it doesn't mean everything has to be doom and gloom, but we do have a responsibility to challenge people to live full lives and to live lives that are worthy of God. And, and if that means that we make people uncomfortable, or even more importantly, we make ourselves uncomfortable, that's, that's what we have to do. And the fear is, well, what if, that, what if that's a big money guy or money gal? And, and what happened? I think we have to be true to the word. You know, one of the things that, uh, Rabbi David and I have uh, talked about over the years, is the danger of good. Good is not good enough. Uh, you know, it's, it's one thing, you, of course you want people to be good and to show goodness, but as a rabbi, you want them to be better. You want to, there's an old Jewish tradition of eating carrots uh, during Rosh Hashanah, because carrots in Yiddish, merin. Merin means more. 
We want you to do a little bit more. Uh, we fill in a cup of wine at weddings a little bit higher. Give a little bit more. And I think Rabbi David, Seth Kirshner, that's what you do. People walk out and say, you know what? I can do even better. Uh, you know, I got a 95 on the report card. Let me go for the 100. Whatever it is, I got the 100. Let me do the extra credit. Uh, and that's, that's our responsibility uh, to challenge, uh, to confront and to challenge and hopefully uh, to make a difference. Well, sometimes they walk out, Joe, and they say, I can do better, meaning the rabbi can do even better. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's true. I, I agree with you, Deacon. I, I don't think people are coming to synagogue to dial it in. I don't think they're coming for fast food. They're coming to be stirred. They're coming to look at something from a different angle. They're coming to have a, uh, a thirst quenched for them. And, um, and it's our job to, to give it 110% on that front. And I think people are spiritually hungry. I, I, I think that... There are places where they can connect with God, tradition, community, our past and our future, and blend them together. And that's our role to facilitate that as best as we can. And I think that's the importance of being with a congregation. There are people who go to parishes or churches or congregations or shuls, and they, they, they go to the, you know, the, the, uh, the place of worship du jour. But there needs to, I think there needs to be a relationship with the ministers in the particular places uh, there because then people people understand who you are and that you know they'll judge whether you live you, you walk the walk and talk the talk and so when they go to to your shul every every Saturday and they they know who you are and they see you in the in the neighborhood and 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 they they call you when there's great joy or great or great horror. Um, they can listen more carefully. Your credentials are there. When you just go one-on-one, or you just read, or you just okay. watch it on TV, uh, or, or on the Internet, it's, it's not the same. You know, Deacon, I was walking home with my wife on Rosh Hashanah, and we're debriefing, and she goes, what was your favorite part? And I said, you know what my favorite part was? It was looking out at 1,200 people, because we have two separate rooms happening in service, and seeing so many people who I officiated for their bar mitzvah, mm-hmm. I, I officiated for their wedding, and right. now they're there with babies. I did their, the, was at the bris or the baby naming. To me, there is no way to ever calculate the value that has given to my life as a clergy yep. person. I never could prepare for that properly, and it's been the most rewarding component I could ever dream of, uh, ever, uh, in entering this field. And a lot of people put down all the parts of the rabbit. Every job has hard parts. But you find me something that's more enriching and more rewarding than sitting out and getting an invitation to be at the milestones of all of this community's life. Nothing gets better than that. I, I'll go. Uh, should, Gina or I usually go shopping on, on Saturdays. That's where we do our, our shopping. Costco. And we'll go, no, actually, we go to Key Food, to be honest with you, in, in Rockville Center. But, um, but I'll be there. And it, it, this happens a couple of times a month. It'll happen. I'll be with Maddie, and I'll call out to Maddie, and someone will stop and say, do I know you? And I go, I, I don't know. And then she says, either, you know, I heard you on the radio. I heard you from church. I want to thank you for what you said. And I'm sitting there like in a sweatshirt and, you know, my hair is all messed up and stuff. And they say, you know, it's like, wow, Deacon is a real person. I go, well, a little too real for some people. But I, I yeah. think that connection with our people is, is not you our know, people, our friends. I think that's important. You know what I find, uh, and I'm older uh, than you and Rabbi Not, as not much together. Used to be. <laughs> not together, but uh, when I hug someone, I'm often, I'm hugging more than one generation. Uh, you know, yesterday uh, I had the privilege of seeing a woman named Haley Lairfeld. Haley Lairfeld's husband, Eric, died on 9-11. On 9-11, he was at Cantor Fitzgerald. Mm. And I've officiated at the naming of their child. The child never met Eric. She was pregnant at that point. And I officiated the bat mitzvah of the daughter. So when I'm hugging Haley, it's more than just Haley. It's Eric. Uh, you know, it's... Uh, uh, the entire family. And I see that with many people. And you're right, David. 
we, we cannot minimize relationships because that's what it's all about. And then I see people who are in crisis and they come to the synagogue. I saw someone who was quite ill, but he wanted to be there. As difficult as it was to get to shul, he wanted to be there because he was surrounded by people who love him. And that was therapy for him. So we can talk about Facebook and all of the other social media platforms. There's nothing better than being with people who care about you and you've cared about over the years. So the that's, synagogue. That's absolutely right. Right? Look you, at, look, you, look at Look at Charlottesville. Look at Charlottesville. People wrote when, when that hatred was there, was so visible. What do they do? They ran to the synagogue. They wanted to be in there. Even though it was a da- it was dangerous you know, area, they wanted to be there. Sweden, people went to synagogue. That was their response to the hatred. But also the response was, we're going to stand together against you. You know, Rabbi, we, um, we put our services now on live stream and, and our sermons. For the holidays, mine and Rabbi Friedman's and others, the Cantor singing are all up on Facebook and YouTube. The other things, apparently, by the way, Ambien uh, website is asked to put it up. Yeah, a yes. lot of people <laughs> sleep very quickly. Um, yeah. But uh, but I I will say that people who have been in the service and then rewatch it have told me it's it's not the same. And there's something about saying a line and looking right at somebody who you know has gone through a challenge or looking at someone who's had a triumph or looking at someone who's survived cancer and know when you're sitting next to them and holding them tight and grabbing their arm that there's something beautiful in that. And that's what community is about. And I don't think that can ever be replaced. We might, pre- we might replace Kmart's uh, and big box stores with Amazon, but I don't think we can ever replace community. And that's why Starbucks is here to stay. That's not a plug. I'm talking about the coffee houses, these places that people can commune and join together and sit face-to-face. Mm-hmm. That's a value that we can never discount. You remember the rabbi who said that we can learn from Starbucks in terms of creating settings where people are comfortable sitting and being with one another. Um, and, uh, you know, you walk into Starbucks and the, uh, what are they called, barista? Mm-hmm. Baristo, male, female, whatever that is, uh, will greet you. You know, how are you? Very, very important, uh, that, that personal warmth that you don't find in, in all those places. We're coming upon Sukkot, Tabernacles. For a moment, what's your, you know, what message do you have to convey about this holiday? Uh, it's my favorite holiday, Sukkot. First of all, it's the holiday with the most Jewish props in it. We have the, the lulav, the palm branch. We have the etrog, the citron. We sit in these huts called Sukkot. I love it because at our house and at our synagogue, we invite many, many mm-hmm. people who are strangers to come and join us. And it also reminds us of some of the temporariness of our lives. I think it's going to be impossible to hear to sit in a sukkah, which is a temporary dwelling, and to not think about the people who were victim to Hurricane mm-hmm. Irma, to Hurricane Harvey, to Hurricane Maria, people in Puerto Rico, people in Houston, people in Florida that are suffering from this challenge all day. And I think our responsibility is going to be looking after them. At our synagogue, we have events every day of the week, morning and afternoon and evening for Sukkot, and each of them has drives to help the people who have been afflicted by these terrible storms, who their homelessness and temporary shelters is not something that lasts only for seven days of a festive holiday. See, look at the Sukkot, fragile dwelling, and what's it about, as David said? It's about people being together. Uh, So we find happiness. It's called a holiday of happiness. Uh, And where do we find happiness? Not in all the luxurious items but in simplicity, in just being able to stand next to someone you care about, that's happiness. Does Very it have delight. a, I'm sorry, Robert, does it have a scriptural basis? I mean, obviously yeah, it's it does. It's, it's, no, no. it's, it's a biblical, this particular yeah, holiday. it's a biblical holiday. Rabbi David, you want to talk about it? Yeah, well, sure. It, it's the holiday of tabernacles mm-hmm. where we, you know, celebrate the idea of our exodus 
there's a conversation that happens later in the Talmud between what is a sukkah, what is this tabernacle, this booth that, that we walk out of. There were some rabbis who believed they were on a nekavod, they were these clouds of glory that escorted us on our exodus, and other rabbis, like Rabbi Akiva, said, no, it was an actual hut. And we compromised that by putting up this, um, this hut where you can see the, so- the skies and the stars to recognize both the, uh, the clouds of glory that escorted us and this actual hut that looks after us as a form of shelter. Look at when we do it. Look at the timing. Logically, or chronologically, Sukkot should occur right after Passover mm-hmm. because the Jews went out of slavery. They dwelt right. in these huts as they traveled. And yet we don't do it after Passover. We do it at this time of year, the fall. Because to sit in a sukkah when the weather is nice is no big deal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But to sit in a sukkah when it's a little bit more challenging right. with the elements, uh, that says something about commitment. So uh, uh, there's a lot to learn in, a, in, a, in simplicity. Simple holiday. As a, as a Gentile in New York, we, you know, when we, we, we invite you into the sukkah. Uh, you do. Well, and first I, of all, we I invite do, you to build the sukkah. That's right. But, not, but you don't want me, yeah. trust me, you don't want me <laughs> to build your sukkah. Yeah. But... Um, when you walk around and you know Ocean Avenue or, or the different neighborhoods that are there, and you see these being built, and then you see the people there, obviously you know like we're cousins, you know what I mean religiously yeah, we're cousins, yeah. but it's so there's just something very moving about that, and and I always get a, get a kick out of it that saying like here's here's my cousins praising God in their way, and it's it's just a very you know, it, it's not overtly religious. It's it's you know it's it's wood and, and nails and, and and covering and things like that, but. But it's to say, like you know, God's God's the focus. Of what we do, I, 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 for your sake, I mean, I, I've I've a vested interest because of the weather and the traffic. Not, I don't want to be crazy, but I do love the being able to kind of you know um, uh, tacitly celebrating with you in these in these beautiful days. All right, Rabbi David Seth Kirshner. By the way, another guy who gives thanks for his family wherever. Whenever I'm with him, he always talks about you know yeah, his wife Dory and the kids and how, great. How, how great it is having such a yeah. family. You know, I'll tell you how great it is. I'm sitting right next to my son right now, and we're at the airport, and we're taking a special father-son trip to go see the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, our favorite football you, team player. Wait football. a minute, you going on a trip? I don't believe it. You're know, always such a you're such a homebody. <laughs> yeah, but Elias is a big football fan, and we're going to give him a, a good day to remember.